Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Today we're finishing a two-part series on what to do when a terrorist attacks. When Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem, they're at the temple, this temple that Herod had built, it taken 38 years to build. One of the literally wonders of the world at that time. And the disciples said, Jesus, look at this. This is magnificent. And Jesus said to them, he said, now one of these stones that you see is going to be left on top of another, right? Now today, if you go there, that's exactly what you see, that every part was destroyed. They have dug down and now there's what's referred to as the welling wall, which was the foundation of that temple. And that's the most holy place now in Judaism where people go to pray. You can come to Jerusalem. We'll, we'll be there uh, in several months right at the wall. But 70, in 70 AD, the Romans come, exactly what Jesus says takes place. They destroy the temple. Not one stone is left on the other. And the disciples say, Jesus, when is this going to happen? And what is going to be the sign of the end of the age? The end of human government, the beginning of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, terror will make people faint. Right? They will be worried about what's happening in the world. Now, we don't need to go back to 9-11, to London or Paris. I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, we have had a terrorist attack in Orlando, one in Istanbul. Uh, terrorism was prophesied by Jesus as one of the signs of the end of the age. And he said that what would happen is people's hearts will faint. Literally, they'll lose courage. They'll lose their resolve. They'll lose their fight. And they'll, they'll literally, just out of fear, they will become passive. Now, the ultimate terrorist is the devil. And I believe that every terrorist that you've ever heard of, that the motivation behind that terrorist was Satan himself. Satan and demon power. Now, the Bible tells us about this. Now, by the way, I just read recently that 85% of Americans believe in the devil. I'm not surprised. You can't hardly go to a movie, entertainment, and, and there's, there's vampires and there's demons and there's the supernatural. All right. Well, if you're a Christian, you definitely believe in the supernatural. You definitely, if you believe the Bible, you believe in Satan and in demons. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. So the Bible tells us that we're not to lose heart. We're not to become passive. We're not to sit back. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be sober, vigilant. We're supposed to be watching because the devil... That terrorist, he's going around and he is seeking whom he may devour. Now notice he can't just devour anybody. He's got to find an open door. And the Bible says what we need to do is we need to resist him steadfast in faith. James, on the other hand, said, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Let me tell you this. If you're not submitting to God, resisting the devil does not work. Right? But when you're submitted to God and you resist the devil, he will flee from you. So we're going to look in the Old Testament at a terrorist attack. The Amalekites were ISIS of the Old Testament. There's nothing that ISIS has on the, on the Amalekites. And they come to David's city and it says, now when David and his men came to Zegleg, Zegleg is the city where David lived. But literally, David and his men were the inhabitants, the only inhabitants of the city. They came on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Zigleg, attacked Zigleg and burned it with fire, and had taken captain the women and those who were there, from small to great. They didn't kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and they wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, <laughs> it's always a bad day when you have two wives. <laughs> There's no good days. No good days. Listen, listen. One woman is more than any man can handle. I'm just telling you that right now. 
but, but both. <laughs> and listen, listen, man, listen, look at me. The older you get, the more you'll know how true that is. <laughs> they were taken captive. And then David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved or bitter. Every man for his son and his daughter. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Abimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, God, answered him, pursue. You will surely overtake them and without fail recover all. We, we noticed five things in the previous talk about this. First, they wept. Listen, when, when, when you're hit hard, there, there is always an emotional response. It's normal. It's natural. It's right. Right. And they, they, they wept. But after that, that time, that initial shock, right, they began to do different things. The first thing that we need to do is check our heart and make sure that we're right with God. Again, you cannot resist the devil unless you first submit to God. And you need to make sure there's not sin in your life. Then don't get bitter. We, we want to blame somebody. And that's what they're doing. They're, the, David's men, they're bitter. And what do they say? Let's stone David. Well, David wasn't the problem. In fact, David was going to be God's answer for their salute to, 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 the, to, the, to the problem. He was part of the solution. So what we tend to do is we want to blame somebody. Don't do it. Then he encouraged himself in the Lord. It's great when you have friends to encourage you, but if you don't, and the day may come when you're alone, you need to be able to encourage yourself. And then David got a word from God. And, and you, you've heard people say this, you never know what God's going to do. Kind of like God's schizophrenic. That one day the sun will rise in the east and the next day in the west. Right? But I've got news for you. We know what God's going to do. You say, what's God going to do? He's going to do exactly what he said in the Bible. That's what God's going to do. God is going to do chapter and verse. That's what he does. In fact, the Bible says he confirms the word. He confirms the word with signs following. All right. Then number six, All right. Get a vision of total victory. Remember this. Your vision is your future. And without a vision, the Bible says you'll cast off restraint. But you need to get a vision of total victory. And this is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph or absolute victory in Christ. What God wants for you, what God wants for me is he wants absolute victory. And God, David says, shall I pursue? God says, pursue. And you will without a doubt recover all. Listen, faith begins where the will of God is known. You cannot have faith for something you don't know is the will of God. And here's where a lot of Christians are. Something bad happens. And this is what they say. Well, I, I, I hope, I hope that maybe God will work for me. Or they say something like this. Maybe God's trying to teach me something. Or, or maybe God is punishing me. Right? Now, if you've got that kind of a thought in your mind, Here's what you'll never do. You will never resist the devil. You'll never pursue. You'll never overtake. And you will never recover all. If you don't re know what the will of God is, that this thing is not God's will, that it's an attack of the enemy, you cannot resist. Right? So we've got to know the will of God, get that vision of what God wants for us, that absolute victory, and then go and pursue it. Don't be like some Christians. They, we, some Christians are mamsy pamsy, milk toast. All right. Now, you, you never, never receive God's best that way. Never. All right. And, and I look at the past and I think we had Christians willing to go and be eaten by lions. All right. They, they, were, they were not milk toast. Right. And when you follow the Bible, you're not going to be milk toast. But here's what some Christians do they, they come to the devil and they kind of like, Mr. Devil, if you. I will be nice to you and you just be nice to me. You know, kind of like, let, let, let's have a treaty. Let's negotiate. I'll just be nice to you. You be nice to me. And, and you know, now, now listen, listen, Ecclesiastes 8 verse 8 says, and there is no release from that war, right? You are in a spiritual war, whether you know it or not. And there's no release. There's no vacation. Listen, 
The devil does not take summers off. And he doesn't take nice days off. Right? There is no release. And you and I, we are in a spiritual war, whether we realize it or not. Apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight. He realized the, the, the Christian life, it is a fight. Literally, from the spiritual womb to the tomb, all right? You are in a spiritual war and you cannot negotiate with the devil. And here's why, because he's a liar. He's a liar. Jesus said when he speaks a lie, he speaks his native tongue because he's the father of lies. Now you cannot trust the devil and the devil does not treat well those who serve him the best. Right? Jesus stated the devil's mission statement. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. All right? And the devil is not a gentleman. When you're down, he wants to kick you some more. Right? Do not get passive and try to negotiate with the devil. Right? Now, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that there is a curse. And it's literally, it's called the curse of the law. A curse for breaking the law. And, and what this curse includes, right? It includes spiritual death, physical attack and failure, failure of your relationships, failure in your finances, right? Now, here's what the Bible says in Galatians 3, verse 13, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. So you have been brought back from failure, from confusion, from lack, from poverty, right? Jesus redeemed you. What does God want for you? Third John verse two, beloved, I wish above all things that you'd prosper, that you would be in health, even as your soul prospers. Now notice for you to have what God wants for you, what part of you needs to prosper? Your soul. You need to know the will of God, all right? So God said you pursue and you will surely overtake and recover all, all right? You know what God does? God declares the end from the beginning. That's what he said in Isaiah 46. I declare the end from the beginning. And what you and I need to do, we need to get that vision and we need to begin to say what God has said. This is where we're gonna go. This is gonna be the end result, all right? Number seven, be ready to persevere. Be ready to persevere. You, you never get God's best simply by sitting back and thinking that the blessings of heaven are gonna fall on you like ripe cherries off of a tree, all right? Now, I've prayed for thousands of people, thousands, right? And people will come up and say, pray for me. And I say, okay, I'll pray for you. And I pray for them. And I say, now I want you to do something, right? 90% of the time, this is what people say. I say, I want you to do something, will you do that? And they say, I will if it's easy. <laughs> How many of you know great victories are never easy? They're never easy, all right? And, and we've got this going to be easy. No, 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 no. To have God's best, you're going to have to stand. You're going to have to persevere. And the Bible says, having done all, stand. Stand in faith. Keep on standing. Keep on resisting. All right? You got to be ready to persevere. Look what happened with David. So he went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where they stayed who left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind for they were too weary and they could not cross the brook Besor. So here's, here we are. They've lost their wives. They've lost their children. They've lost all their stuff. They're pursuing and they go, I'm too tired. I'm too tired to go and save my wife. I'm too tired to go and save my kids. I'm going to stay here by the brook. I'm going to rest. Just take it easy. Have a few Doritos. Watch Netflix. I'm going to sit back. See what's on Instagram. Let me tell you what would happen at my house. If I did not pursue, I would get slapped by Jeannie. <laughs> you're going to do that and you're not going to come and get me. And she has informed me that I need to stand up for her. Right? I have been informed. <laughs> they were not willing to fight. Listen to what 
Paul said, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're not abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. The proverb said the righteous man may get knocked down seven times, but he rises again. See, to, you, you need to stand. You need to never, never, never give up. Quit, n never quit. Keep on going, all right? Get that divine desire on the inside of you, what God wants for you, and pursue. Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. No regrets, no reservations. Keep on going. Don't quit. Don't quit. If you don't quit, if you don't quit, and you don't quit, and you don't quit, and you don't quit, you will pursue and you will recover all. But you need to not give up. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Be willing to pay the price. It may take time. It may take energy, some discipline, whatever it takes. Be willing to pay the price. And they, those that did, they ended up recovering all. Now, number eight, get mad at the devil. Get mad at the devil. Here's what happens. Listen. So they brought him down. And there they were, spread out over the, all the land, the Amalekites. They're eating. They're eating David's food. They're drinking. They're drinking David's wine. They're dancing. They've got Abigail, David's wife, and they're dancing. Because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So David and his men, they climb up, peek over that hill. There they are, the Amalekites, thousands of them. And they're eating drinking, dancing with Abigail, and David gets mad, really mad, right? But who does he get mad at? He gets mad, not at his men. He gets mad at the enemy, all right? I'm going to tell you what happened. John Wayne's spirit came on David. Before John Wayne was, the John Wayne spirit came on David, all right? You see, he's mad because the devil is in his business and gotten his stuff. This past week, uh, I received a phone call from a pastor and a member of his staff had just resigned and was talking with people and was just telling them some, some very wrong things. And he's on the phone. He's like, I can't believe he's doing that. I mean, he'd been my best friend. We were in, we were in uh, Teen Challenge together. We've been together for 20 years and I can't believe he's doing this. And I can't believe he's saying that. And I literally, Jeannie was, was, was on the speakerphone and, and Jeannie would tell you, I literally said, stop. I said, stop it. I said, because he is not your enemy. He is not your enemy. Your enemy is a spiritual force that is using him to attack you. See, the Bible says in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The living Bible then says, but against persons or beings without bodies. The King James says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against a great host of wicked spirits in the heavenly places. Your real enemy is not your mother-in-law, not your boss, not the IRS. The real enemy is not that person who stole from you, that person who betrayed you, that person who's talking about you. The real enemy is Satan and demon power. And unless you fight the real enemy, you're never going to win the real battle, right? Because the real battle is not natural. It's a spiritual battle, right? And so we need to recognize who is the enemy. The real enemy behind what's taking place is not a person. The real enemy is Satan and demon power. Now, Colossians 1, 13. I want you to listen. This is what it says. It says, he, that's God has delivered us from the power of darkness, from Satan's power, from his kingdom, from his domain, and translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Now here's literally what happened in the spiritual realm. Right? When you became a Christian, how many, how many of you have ever seen Star Trek? Are you Trekkies? Raise your hand. All right. Captain Kirk, he's down on the planet. He says, Scotty! Beam me up. 
all right? And all of a sudden, that light comes and he shows up on the Starship Enterprise in the transporter room. He got translated, all right? He got translated. And when you become a Christian, listen, you are translated out from under Satan's kingdom, his domain and his power, and God translates you into the kingdom of the son of his love. That's the kingdom that you pray and say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what that means is this. It means that Satan has no legal right to attack you. No legal right. Now, in our small group this week, one of the members of our small group had their, their garage broken into. A thief, thief came in the night, stole two four-wheelers, right? Now, was it legal? Nope. Did they do it anyway? That's what thieves do. You know what the devil is? He's a thief. Now, 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 the member of our small group figured out who did it. Went and confronted him. Got him back. You know who the real enemy is? It's the devil. He's the one who's stealing, killing, and destroying in your life. Right? And when you confront him and you resist him, you know what he's got to do? Give it back. He's got to give it back. He can't keep it. You can recover all. You can recover all. So you have been translated out from under Satan's authority, his power. One translation says the gloom and doom of Satan's kingdom. Right? And he puts you into the kingdom of the son of his love. All right. Because of time. Number nine, get good counsel. Get good counsel when a terrorist attack, when that worst day comes. Now, this is up to this time, the worst thing that ever happened to David. But a day comes later. David's already been king for many years. His son Absalom puts together a coup. And David is running for his life. He has run. He's got 3,000 men with him and his family. Absalom comes to attack David with tens of thousands of men. The Bible does not tell us exactly how many, but it does say that Absalom lost 20,000 men in the battle. Right? So David's got three. Absalom comes with tens of thousands, but God's with David. Absalom gets killed and David finds out about it. And David begins to weep and he's crying and he's saying, Absalom, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Now, what he's saying is this, because if Absalom had won, David would have been killed. All of his wives would have been killed. All of his children would have been killed. And all of the people that were with him would have been killed. And so what he's saying is Absalom is more important to me than everybody else. And the people are coming back from the battle and they're hearing David cry. And they're just kind of like the Bible says, they're coming in like they had ran from the battle. And Joab comes and says to him, he says, I can see today you're not too smart. He says that you love those who hate you and hate those that love you. Don't you realize that all these people that put their life on the line, they saved your life, the life of your family, the life of all of your friends. Right? And you're weeping for this guy who tried to kill you. He says, if you don't straighten up, he said, every single person is going to leave and this will be worse for you than anything that has ever happened to you from your youth until now. And David said, you're right. And he went out, he addressed the people, he thanked them and turned the entire situation around. You know, sometimes you can be blinded by things that happen in your life. How many of you know we've all got a blind spot or two, right? And sometimes we need somebody to come and tell us, hey, look what you're doing. You're doing the wrong thing. Get good counsel. Where there's no counsel, the Bible says, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Then, of course, attack. 
David attacked from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David attacked <laughs> and, and they attack and they, they fight. They, they literally, they fight through the night. They, they just keep on fighting. They do not surrender. But I want to remind you that you have weapons. The Bible tells us in Corinthians that you have weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Let me just give you a few. Number one is you have the blood of Jesus. Revelation 12 verse 11 says that they, that's you, overcome him, that Satan and everything he brings by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Now notice it's the blood and the word, the blood and the word. The Old Testament type is found in Exodus chapter 12. Here's what happens. Moses tells everybody the death angel is going to come through the land. So this is what you do. You take in a lamb, kill the lamb, but catch the blood. Stand in front of your house, put hyssop in the blood and strike above the door, back in the blood to the right, back in the blood to the left. And God said this, wherever I see the blood, I will not allow the destroying angel to do any harm at all. So Corinthians says that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. That lamb was a type of Jesus. And when the lamb died and shed its blood, the lamb had done all it needed to do. But the people had to apply the blood. Right? In the same way, Jesus shed his blood and obtained victory for us. In fact, it tells us in Revelation that the way that we get victory, we overcome, is by the blood of the lamb but, and the word of our testimony. So you need to apply the blood with hyssop, but not the hyssop of a weed, but the hyssop of your tongue. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And notice here in Revelation, it says by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You and I need to begin to confess what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us. And the Bible says that when we do, we overcome. Remember when Jesus faced Satan, every time Satan came, Jesus said the same thing. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written, right? We have the weapon of the word of God. Now it's actually referred to as the sword of the spirit, right? It's the sword of the spirit. It's literally the rhema of God, the Greek word is, and it means the word that has been revealed to you. It's not just something you've heard. It's something you've got down in your heart. It's something you've meditated on. We have the weapon of praise. The Bible says this, Jesus quotes this, but listen, Psalms 8, it says out of the mouth, of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. He's saying that we begin to praise and worship God. It is a spiritual weapon that silences the enemy. Who's the enemy? It's the devil, the avenger. Yeah, it silences them. When Paul and Silas are in Philippi, they're thrown in prison, right? They, they, first of all, they whip them. They throw them in a dungeon. Their hands and their feet are in stocks. It's midnight, the Bible says. And literally 12 o'clock midnight. But I believe it's also the midnight hour. It's the darkest time, right? And it says they begin to praise and worship God. And everybody hears them. And suddenly there is an earthquake. Every door swings open. Every shackle falls off. And everybody is free. It is a picture of what happens spiritually when we and I use the weapon that God has given us of praise and worship. And of course, Jesus told us that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What the devil believes is this. He believes that you might pray a prayer or two, that you might make a confession or two, but he does not believe that you will stand and you will stand and you will stand and persevere however long it takes. He doesn't believe that about you. He believes that you will wimp out, kind of like Saddam Hussein back in 1991. He, he comes into Kuwait. He's sitting there for months. He knows the coalition has the power to kick him out, but he doesn't believe they're going to do it. But all of a sudden on January the 15th, surprise, smart bombs start falling all over the place and everything changed. He didn't believe that we would persevere. 
And that's what the devil is like. He doesn't believe you'll persevere. Number 11, make the devil pay. Make the devil pay. Now, David not only recovered all of his stuff, but listen, David took all the flocks and the herds they had driven before and those other livestock. Now, that's the stuff that the Amalekites had and the stuff the Amalekites had stolen from everybody else and said, this is David's spoil. Now, listen, 72 hours before he comes home, his house is burned, his wife is gone, his kids are gone, his stuff is gone. 72 hours has passed. Now he's coming home. He's got his wife back. He's got his kids back. He's got his stuff back. And he's got a whole bunch more stuff. It went like from the worst day of his life to the best day of his life. They're on their way back and Abigail, she's got paper out and she's figuring that she's like, man, we're going to build a new house twice as big as that old house because we got too much stuff. Right? Things went from being really bad to really good. Listen, God loves to catch the devil in his own trap. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't bow down and worship the image. The king says, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And who is the God who could deliver you from my hand? Well, he found out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of that fiery furnace. And the king looks and says, there is no God who can deliver like this. And he makes a decree. And the decree is anybody who speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego will pull a beam out of his house, hang him on him, and then we'll make it a dung heap. That, that's a nice way to say some bad stuff. All right. The devil thought he was going to win, but God turned the table on him. Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. The devil thought that's the end. How many of you know God turned the table? Next morning, Daniel comes out and the people who had him thrown in get thrown in. And the Bible says every one of their bones was broken before they even got to the bottom of the den. God loves to catch the devil in his own trap. When Jesus hears that John the Baptist has been killed, the Bible says he goes to a desert place and the people come and Jesus teaches them and heals all that were sick. You know what he did? He gave the devil a black eye. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He gave the devil a big black eye. All right, make the devil pay. And then lastly, one last thing. David is coming back and it says he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah and to his friends saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Number 12 is share. Here's what David knew. David knew that every time something comes into his hand, part of that is for his consumption. But all of it is not for his consumption. Some of it is supposed to be shared. Some of it's supposed to be sown. In Corinthians, this is what it says. It says, God gives seed to the sower and bread to eat. So here's what that means. It means every time that something comes into your hand or my hand, there's a part of that that's supposed to be seed. It's supposed to be given. And there's a part of it we're supposed to eat. Now, when it says eat, it means you could drive it, you can wear it, you can live in it, you can vacation with it. But part of it's for you, but not all of it's for you. And notice how God sets this up. He says he gives seed to sow and bread to eat. What are we supposed to do first? Sow. Take the first portion and sow. I just had lunch with somebody this week. And they were telling me, they said, you know, when we started to come to rest, he said, uh, what we'd do, we'd pay all our bills. And then what was ever left over, usually 20 bucks, he said, that'd go in the offering. He says, but he said, I, I started to listen and you talked about first. He said, that was really hard to do it first and to take the first part. He said, that was hard. He said, but what a difference it has made in our spiritual life. See, you, you, how many of you realize you cannot outgive God? You just can't do it. He said, I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Corinthians, he says, I'll make it up to you by giving everything that you need and more besides. But it's just an act of faith. And David realized when something comes, it's not all for my consumption. There's a part of it that I'm supposed to sow first. All right, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? 
We, you know, we, we never want to think about this, but the mortality rate with humanity is still 100%. You say, what does that mean? That means if Jesus tarries someday, your body, my body, they're going to wear out and it's going to die. 100% of the time. And it'll either be the greatest day of your eternity or it will be the worst day of your eternity. And there is nothing in between. Now understand this. When you die, instantly, you're sealed for all of eternity. You're either right with God or you're not right with God. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, he wrote it like this. He said, when a tree falls, there it will lie, whether to the north or to the south. He wasn't talking about trees. He was talking about people. He said, when you fall, when you die, you're either right with God or you're not right with God. And you're sealed instantly for all of eternity. And Jesus will say to some, enter into the joy of the Lord. But to others, he'll say, depart into everlasting fire and torment. For those that enter that joy, the Bible says he'll wipe away every tear. It is true that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And Jesus said, you must be born again. What that means is you need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. And he's not a thief to steal your heart and life. He's not a manipulator to manipulate you. If you have not intentionally given Jesus all of your heart and all of your life, you still have it. And you need to give that to Jesus. Jesus said, you must be born again. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Your way will never get you to God. My way will never get me to God. There is one way, and that is Jesus. And if you're here today, you need forgiveness. You're away from God. You're not right with God. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in just a moment. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, please lift that hand. And we're going to pray together. God's going to meet you right here. And when you leave, you're going to be right with God. You're going to be forgiven. And as you lift your hand, you're saying, first of all, I know there's just one Savior. That's Jesus. I'm coming to him today to be forgiven and to be saved and to receive him as the Lord of my life. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying, God, I'm not going to let the devil steal, kill, and destroy my life my family one more day. I'm coming to Jesus to receive the abundant life he has for me. Two, now get ready. As you lift your hand, you're saying, God, today I'm receiving Jesus by faith. He's coming into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. He's going to make me a new person on the inside. He's taking me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of God. I'm going to be a part of his family on my way to heaven. Three, lift it up. Pray with me. Pray with me. I'm not right. Thank you. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, and another, 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 another up in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else, thank you. Over here to my left. Another over here to my left. Anybody else, please lift it high. Lift it high. Thank you. God bless you. Over here to my right. Now I'm going to ask everybody to stand, but nobody moving unless you have to. Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. Don't start to clap. But if you lifted your hand, I want you to move to the aisle that's nearest you. Come with the person you came with. Bring your purse, whatever you have. But make your way right down here. God is going to meet us right here. And we're going to pray. When we say amen, you're going to be new. You're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. Give them a hand as they come. Make your way. Make your way. God bless you. Over here, back there, in the balcony. If you make your way down, we're going to wait. Come on down from the balcony. We want to pray with you. God is going to do a miracle in your life. This literally is the most important decision anybody can ever make. Do not miss this. You, Jesus hung on a cross for us. We can surely walk down an aisle and say, Jesus, I am giving you my life. I'm receiving you. Every part of me is going to be yours. How many? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Come on over here, guys. Let's get close. All right. 
Still coming down from the balcony. Excellent. All right. Romans 10, verse 13. This is our word from God. This is God's promise. Whosoever, that means you. The devil says you can't do that, but he's a liar. This will work for every single one of you. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you've done. We'll call on the name of the Lord. Now we are going to call on his name the way the Bible tells us to. And this is God's promise. We'll be saved. When we say amen, you're forgiven. You're right with God. You may not feel a thing, but God is going to translate you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of the son of his love. All right. We ready, everybody? Take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. That's where our help comes from. Pray this prayer out loud. Make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. I receive him today as the Lord of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you. You have heard my prayer that you blood wash me from my sin, that my past is gone, that I am your child. Did you make me a new person on the inside, a part of your kingdom today and forever in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.